Hi listeners, welcome back to Motivate, the Motivation and Inspiration Podcast. I'm your host, Dahi D, and today's guest is Bill Gove talking about change. I chose this episode because change is the only constant in life. Most people don't change, and most people don't even know how to go about changing their behavior. As Bill points out, if you want to change, you have to actually want to change. So what does that mean? To change, you have to find a plan and you have to stick to it. And most importantly, you have to give yourself time for things to work. You have to give yourself time, as Bill points out, for you to build up those habits and such that really get you to that next level, that really drive the meaningful change that you need. Are you truly using your time effectively? Are you really being the change that you want to see? Change is almost impossible, but it's easy if you add the element of time and the element of a routine. That's how you'll actually have meaningful change. That's it for me today. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Thank you, Sam. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm delighted to be here. I'm flattered that you'd ask me. It's fun to get together and talk about what we always talk about when we get together like this, how to, oh, maybe how to build relationships that stay glued. More important, maybe, how to find the time to do it. I'm going to resist the temptation tonight to throw around a lot of selling platitudes and slogans like plan your work and work your friends. (laughs) Think big and you'll be big. I got a neighbor gets up in the morning, he sings in the shower, he, he plays an inspirational record for breakfast, he looks in the mirror, he said, you can do it, boy. You can be chairman of the board of what the mind can conceive, man can do. You know his problem? The bum never leaves the house. (laughs) We get letters after some of these clinics, you know. Some of them favorable, some of them they don't go along with you. Some of them kind of funny. You always hear about the guy who said, I took all the things you told me about Mr. Gove and I used them and I won a sales contest. I won a trip to Mexico City. I'm still down there trying to win a trip back. Get me back. <laughs> and you always hear from the beefer, the griper, who says, if Khrushchev wants any more territory, he can have mine. <laughs> but the, the, one, the one I always love is the guy writes to you and he said, Mr. Gove, you've been a real inspiration to me. In fact, everything I have in this life, I owe to you and to your ideas. In fact, I wouldn't be, he writes, I wouldn't be where I am now if it weren't for you. Then he signs it, and then he says, P.S., excuse the crayon. I would have used a pen, but where I am, they don't allow me to have any sharp instruments, which gives you some idea. So it's always fun getting together uh, like this, real fun. Uh, Generally, though, the letters that come in say something like this. I'm a salesman. Uh, I want to do better and be better 
and take a bigger bite out of life. Some days I'm glad I'm a salesman. Other days I wish I had taken that civil service job up in my hometown. I get letters like this. I wish I had a pat answer. I wish I could say something or write something back that was helpful. But I attended a communications congress up in New England. Uh, they had an English anthropologist on the program, a real kook. Oh, a Nazi. But he knew he was saying something for all of us. And he did say this. He said, if a person is going to change for the better, he said, it's not enough that they have a tremendous desire to change. He said, this is not enough. He said, it's not enough that they think a lot about changing. He said, this power of positive thinking has been overdone in your country. He said, if a person is going to change, he must experience change. He must get change under his skin. He must discipline himself, force himself into a situation of change. He said something you think he's nuts. He said, in order for a person to change, he's got to change. <laughs> I think of my new son-in-law. My daughter married an ex-football player from Minnesota, weighs 230 has to clench his fist to keep from walking on his fingers. You wouldn't believe it, big guy. <laughs> he, went into the printing, he went into the printing business down in Miami, and oh, this is murder. There's about, uh, there's one in every corner. Uh, they eat their young. This is a, oh, terrible business, see? And Jim is right out of college, you know, and he'd walk up, he'd say to the guy, do you want to buy any printing? And the guy would say, how much is it? He said, don't louse me up. Do you want to buy any printing or don't you, see? <laughs> and uh, so... Right up and down the street, cold turkey, and if a guy bought more than $25, he became a house account. <laughs> Lay off, Jim, you know. So we built a little sales talk, and it seemed to help him. So then when he went in, he would say, my name is Jim Wenzel with Patterson Press. I know you're buying from someone else, and I know you're happy, but from time to time, I'd like to drop in, he'd say, and I'd like to pass along some ideas, ideas that might help you. Now, if they help you, Mr. Dealer, you'll do more business, and if you do more business, you'll use more printing. And if you use more printing, all I'd like is a crack at the extra business we developed together. Right now, I don't deserve any of your business. Coming in here cold turkey like this. Give me a chance to earn some. Give your stationary business and your envelope business to the people you're giving it to now. Give me a chance to earn some of your business. Then he'd stop. He had an intellectual quarrel with asking people to buy, you know? My boss used to have a different word for this. He used to talk about a salesman like this. He'd say, he's very colorful. He's yellow. <laughs> but he'd stop. I'd say, Jim, honest, all it takes, all you got to do in good taste is to say something like, uh, if it's all right with you, we'll just ship this out. Or we have an open press Monday morning, and we can put your job right. This, you don't have to push or shove, Jim. He read 40 books on closing, read all the records on closing, still wouldn't do it. One day I'm with him, he said to the guy, if it's all right with you, we'll just ship this out. The guy said, okay, go ahead. I thought we were going to lose him. <laughs> I thought he was going to say, don't be hasty, Charlie, now, hey, you know. Huh? All the talking, all the yelling, he got it under his skin, huh? He, friend of mine has a drinking problem doctor says he's lost his tolerance for alcohol. He's a drunk. That's what he is. Said he, he belonged to AAR. That's Alcoholics Anonymous Rejects. He couldn't make the varsity. See? 
He said to me, I don't have the kind of imagination that lets me go any place without juicing it up. I said, what, what do you do? You know, you, go to, you meet him in a hotel and you say, uh, give me your room and I'll call you. He says, who needs a room? I'm only here for four days. <laughs> he said, I can't. So he had to stop. I saw him after 90 days. I said, how is it? He said, oh, it ain't bad. It ain't good, but it ain't bad, huh? Under the skin. A doctor called a plumber up at 4 a.m., said, get over here, the bowl is making a noise. The plumber said, Doc, you gotta be kidding, it's 4 a.m. The doctor said, I know it's 4 a.m., I can tell time, but Mr. Plumber, when you're in trouble, you call me at 4 a.m. Plumber said, okay, Doc, Go in, put three aspirin down the bowl, flush it, and call me at 10 in the morning. <laughs> Joseph Grindle said, it's not enough to think you want to be a little better. It's not enough to have a tremendous desire for a change. And most people want to change a little bit. He said, you gotta experience change. You gotta get it under your skin. I wanna share with you one idea tonight and what, a, what an honor it is to work on the same program with the big man from Topeka. You've got something coming to you that you deserve just for being here. He's really just the greatest, the patron saint of all the other speakers. We just love him to death because he's so good. I wanna share with you one idea while we're together and I can say this. If this idea hits you half as hard as it hit me, you won't be quite the same person you were when you came here tonight. I realize that's quite a guarantee, you know. I can only say that because this is not my idea. I didn't get this idea. This idea got me. There's a difference. Here's how it happened. I've been looking around for a long time, trying to find out a most unscientific study I've been taking on my own. I've been trying to find out how the real doers of this world find the time to do. They bug me. They always seem to have more time than I have. And I, I know this is impossible, but I want to find out. When I find a guy who's writing a couple of books a year, when I find a guy who takes a couple of trips to Europe and one trip to the Orient, he has an animal farm and all the chinchillas are in heat. Everything he has is swinging from... Everything is swinging! I say, how do you... He serves in the vestry in his church. You need him for a Red Cross Drive Boy Scouts Junior Achievement. That's your boy. I say, how do you find the time? You know something? Generally, they can't tell you, these great doers. Oh, I know what the books will say. They'll say, this man has a profound respect for time. I'm not so sure. If anything, I think he has a profound disrespect for time. Because if you say to him any time uh, during the day, if you ask him, you say, what time is it? He can't come within an hour and a half of telling you. He just gets up in the morning. He does all these wonderful things. He goes to bed at night. I suppose he writes things down. The psychologists say that if we're overwhelmed by detail, they say, the minute we put it down, we relinquish some of the responsibility. Put it down, the pad by the bedside. As old as personal organization. I'm sure they do that. I'm also sure they use another external technique, spare time. I'm sure they use their spare time. I was on a plane from Chicago to San Francisco a short time ago with ex-president Herbert Hoover. He said, Mr. Gove, speaking of time, he said, last year, I wrote a book in my spare time. He said, did you know that 15 minutes a day equals 11 full days a year. 
just picked up, waiting for dinner, waiting in the airport, just waiting. That means 30 minutes a day equals 22 full days a year. I'm sure they all have this going for them, but here's the idea I want to share with you. I'm convinced, and this is the only time I'll use the word convinced tonight, I'm convinced they've got something else going for them, the real doers of this world. I'm sure that when, and believe me, I'm talking to myself because I'm a wheel spinner, I'll admit it, that's why I'm so close to this. That's why I feel so strongly about it, because I'm talking to myself. I need instructions to get out of a phone booth, because too many of us, too many of us, when we think of time, we think of a clock or a calendar. We think of seconds, minutes, hours, days, years, eons. This is our time concept. We play games called beat the clock. We figure we'll get up earlier. We'll go to bed later. This'll beat it, we'll, but the clock goes relentlessly on, bugging us all the way. I'm sure that the real doers, when they think of time, they see time as having more than one dimension, many dimensions, and here's the key. They know they can't do anything about the clock, but they can look to the dimensions of time for personal growth. For instance, habit. Look, when I relegate to habit, those irritating, non-productive details that take so much of my time, then I free myself for a conscious, creative effort, then habit becomes a very significant dimension of time. Look, I can't beat the clock. I can, if I want to, control habit. Can't beat the clock, can do something about habit, making habit my full-time executive assistant, I have a neighbor, hates his boss. He said, my boss is the kind of a guy who would vote a town dry and then move. <laughs> hates him. I said, you're making a liar out of me. I tell people one of the prime requisites for happiness is working under a favorable climate and good, you know, with people you like to be around. But you do very well. He said, well, this doesn't have much to do with it. See. I don't intend to spend the rest of my life working for this guy, but while I'm working for him, I can't afford to develop any lousy habits. You see, when I find a guy I do want to work for, I want to go to him and I want to say, look, this is my record. This is what I did for a guy I didn't even like. Th think what I could do for you, Dad, if I started to like you just a little bit. Here's one. Here's a dimension of time. Energy. I don't have the license to preach. I've been on the wagon for about five years. I've lost all my friends. I don't have any fun anymore. I just want to say that when I was juicing it up, I set a few records that are still standing around here. But when you go into a call half a man physically, half a man mentally, it takes you longer to get through to that other guy if you do get through of time. They've been talking about this for years out in the plant. They say, waste energy, waste time. Tell a cute story about a guy who's playing golf with his wife and she breaks her leg. He carries her all the way into the clubhouse. The pro said, this is the greatest stretch of energy I've ever seen. Man, she weighs 165 pounds. You weigh 140. You carried her all the way in. He said it wasn't the carrying her that was tough. He said it was the picking her up and putting her down between shots. <laughs> energy as a dimension of time. Oh yeah, Jay Gaither. You know, actually, I forgot the little story. Jay Gaither tells this wonderful story about they're playing Bethune-Cookson in Tennessee and they're whomping them about 45 to nothing. 
in the third quarter. I love this story. And they're murdering them. And the only guy left in the stand is a little guy, and he's waving his flag, and he said, Give the ball to Calhoun. So they line up, and they send the halfback out, and they hit him and knock him into the buckets, break his collarbone, carry him off. He lined up again. This little guy is waving the flag. He said, Give the ball to Calhoun. They send this guy in a trap play. They gang tackle him. They carry him off, broken collarbone. The little guy jumps up when they line up. He said, Give the ball to Calhoun. The quarterback said, He say he don't want it. <laughs> I forgot it. <laughs> wow. Here's one attitude as a dimensional time. Here's the key you can't beat the clock, but you can control habit, you can control energy, you can control attitude. And here's what we came for maybe to identify our roles as salesmen. We used to have refresher meetings at Minnesota Mining. We'd meet each summer for about three weeks, and we'd talk about selection, training, motivation, supervision, control. And when we get through, we'd be about up to here. You know, you, you almost had too much. And Jay Beecroft, uh, director of training, used to say, you'll never use all the things we've talked about here. But he said, you know, the thought occurs to me that we could forget almost everything we know about opening, about answers to objections, about we could forget almost everything we know about selling if we would only remember to go into every relationship with the attitude, how can I help this other person solve a problem? How can I help this other person grow? How can I help this person solve a problem? We forget this. Look, I'm here. My prospect or customer is here. In this relationship, there are two, two problems involved. Mine, as a salesman, how to get the order. His, as a prospect or a customer, how to get a product or a service that'll do the job for him. Now, it seems to me that my success in solving my problem is in direct proportion to the number of his problems. I solve successfully. And forget everything else I say tonight, will you remember this? When I, in this relationship, when I emphasize my problem, I'm acting like a peddler. And they're a dime a dozen. When I emphasize his problem, I'm acting almost like a pro. He knows it. I know it. He gives me his time, his confidence. So the problem-solving attitude becomes a dimension of time. I have a friend, a real introvert, a real shy guy. I was in Toastmasters with him. We used to say he couldn't lead a group in silent prayer. <laughs> they said he didn't play football because every time he saw the guys in the huddle, he thought they were making fun of him. See, this, he didn't like this. See. Well, he came to me, he said, Angie is going to have the orthodontia thing. And he said, you know, we're going to have another baby. And I understand that some people make some money part-time. And I said, what do you think of mutual funds? And he said, you mean to buy them or sell them? I said, no, what do you think of them? He said, well, after you get your insurance needs and a little bit of emergency dough in the bank, it's perfectly all right to take a little off the top for funds. You're gambling on our economy. Good idea. I said, Pat Egan is putting on some part-time people. Some of them are doing quite well. He said, I couldn't sell a burlesque show to a lumber camp. You know me, Bill. Hell, I, this is not... 
I said, never mind the word sell then. Let's forget the word sell just for a moment. You're an auditor. Could you go to people and show them how to balance their finances? If they need insurance, could you suggest that they buy insurance from somebody? And then if you think there's enough left so they'll take a little off the top, could you suggest that too? He said, I could try. Now, of course, the perfect ending to a sales story like this is always to say, oh, gee, you know, he's making about $5,000 extra a month. His wife bought a new mink jacket. They moved into a bed. I don't know this to be true, but I do know that Pat Egan told me that my friend might very well have to quit his job as an auditor and go full-time in the mutual funds. Here's my reason for telling the story. You see, the, the idea of selling, as, as, as we know it, the, the image of the salesman was totally unacceptable to this guy, but he could solve problems. He could go to people to help him grow. I did a breakfast meeting in Wichita the other morning. Uh, I followed the president of the company, and you wouldn't believe it. How these people stay in business, I don't know. They called him the colonel. I said to one of the salesmen, uh, he was in World War I. He said he started it. And you follow a guy like this, you know, and it's murder. Oh, he worked these poor guys over. We're going to have some heads rolling. We are 7% behind last year. And either you guys get off this. Oh, terrible. And then I go on, you know, and I think I'm getting a big hand. It's just some guy trying to get some ketchup out of a bottle. He's having a... Awful. Well, I say to myself, after 15 years with Minnesota Mining and knowing how they operate, how do these people stay in business? with an answer-oriented guy like this. And then I found out the executive vice president for sales, he had all the boys to an 11 o'clock meeting. And then he said, we're going to talk about the problem. He said, we're getting about 85% of our business from 25% of our calls, so we're going to look to the quality of calls. We're going to take a good look at this. Now, if you do this, and you do this, and you do this, and you do this, every day, the rest, will take care of yourself. Of course, they got their increase or their decrease back. And there's the president taking bows, you know, to the board of directors. I told those guys, you know. Teachers forget this. They get so jazzed up with PTA meetings and attendance records. They milk programs. They forget their only job is to help my Billy grow, help him be a good boy, good citizen. Doctors forget it. I go three days without sleep. I go to a hotel, I call the house doctor, I think I have some rare oriental disease. I stop reading continued stories, I figure I've had it, you know. He says, come down, I go down, I'm lucky, the waiting room is empty. Does he call me in and say, I'm going to help you? He's a pro. They invented this, they call themselves professionals. Does he say, come on in, see those diplomas on the wall, they got me ready for you? No, before I even see him, I got to sit down with the nurse. She's got a questionnaire. I'm dying, but she's going to ask me, what income bracket are you in, she says. <laughs> Any insanity in your family? I feel like saying I got an uncle up in Maine thinks he's a cow. We were going to get rid of him, but we need the milk. You can't do this. All I want him to say is I'm going to help you solve a problem. All I want my salesman to say, I'd rather have him go in without any pants. Then, that isn't bad, honey, that isn't bad. <laughs> I'd rather than to go in without saying, what do you mean you don't have a problem? Let's find one. 
You know what this guy was doing, my shy friend, without anybody asking him? Get these words with the attitude that goes with them. He was going to people and saying, if you got a problem, you want to know it. But on the other hand, if you don't have one, wouldn't you like to know that too? Let me look, see what you're doing with your money. See if I can help you. Professional, you better believe it. I came into Cincinnati the other morning, 5 a.m., and the airlines had lost my luggage. When you travel as much as I, this, this is the worst thing that can happen to you. So I went up to the senior, 5 a.m., and I punched the puncher, the senior night agent's desk. This guy came out. He looked like he was in charge of oven number three at, at Buchenwald, at Buchenwald. I said, did anyone find a piece of luggage with the initials BG on it? He said, what's the matter? Did you lose it? I didn't say this, but I thought of saying it afterwards. I set out to say, not really, uh, but this is the way I open every interview. <laughs> At 5 a.m., some people say, how are the kids? Did you have a nice vacation, you know? I always say, did anyone find a piece of luggage with the initials BG? He says, where's your check? I said, the gal in Louisville. She pulled my ticket. She pulled the check by mistake. I thought he was going to say, we're even. You lost our check? We lost your luggage. What are you squawking about? Instead, he said, instead, he said what was the number? on the check. I said, I usually have it tattooed right here. Again, again, all we say to our people, tell them you're going to help them solve their problems. It's the only reason for your existence. We can give high school sophomores working part-time just to go in and pick up business already established. How much of a quiz kid do you have to be to walk into a call and say, how you set with this, Mac? How about these? You're about ready for a grocer. You ain't got a problem? Well, 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 let's see whether you don't have a problem. Let's try to find it. Attitude, the problem-solving attitude as a dimension of time. Here's one, and the last one, Communications. Oh, we could talk, we could start talking now and talk right through the Christmas holidays and talk about this one. Of course, if you're talking about time, if what we say and how we say it will determine how long it takes someone to say yes to our ideas, then certainly communications, our verbal habits, must be considered as a dimension of time. We thought just for fun we could add something here. In, in, in breaking it down, and to talk about the language of a problem solver. It might give us a mnemonic device, a hook to hook these ideas on. If, if we were to listen to a thousand problem solvers, and I'm guessing, if we were to listen to a thousand problem solvers, what would they be saying? What are some of the words they'd be using? The thought occurs to me, if I can remember these words, I might be reminded to use the words of a problem solver. I bet they'd be used words like this. I have an idea for you. I bet they'd be using words like this. What do you think? I bet they'd be using words like, don't worry. I'll take care of the details. I'll bet they'd be using words like, others did this and they told us. I'll bet these would be the words of the problem solver. I bet they'd be using words in closing like, I suggest. I have an idea for you. You know there's a difference between an idea and a gimmick? 
Big difference. They say a gimmick attracts attention, but an idea always promises somebody something. Difference. If you send a nude gal across Times Square at high noon, this is a gimmick. But if you put a sign on her back that says, follow me to Joe's restaurant, this is an idea. <laughs> the words, I love you, are supposed to be the most significant words in the English language. But if I walk up to a strange gal on the street and I say, I love you, she'll probably shrug her shoulders and she'll think I flipped and she'll walk on. But if I walk up to the same gal and I say, I'm gonna make love to you, right on this street corner, right now, get ready. <laughs> now this is different. <laughs> now I'm committed. She'll either call a cop or she'll get ready, one of the two. <laughs> At Minnesota Mining, we used to open every interview by saying, my name is Bill Gove with Minnesota Mining. I got some ideas I'd like to get your opinion on. This does two things. Pretty good way to get underway. And if you tell him you got ideas, you better have them. We had a guy in Albuquerque. He said, I got some ideas for you, Doc. The guy said, what are they? Well, he said, I really didn't have any, but didn't you think that was a good opener I used? I said, I'll bet the problem solvers say, I have an idea for you. Can I repeat what my son-in-law says? I know, I know you're buying from someone else and I know you're happy because I've seen the work they do. But from time to time, I'd like to drop in and pass along some ideas. Now, if these ideas work, you'll sell more of everything. And if you sell more of everything, uh, you'll use more printing. And all I'd like is a crack at the extra business we develop together. I have an idea for you. I have an idea that'll help you solve your problem. What do you think? I'll bet the problem solvers uh, in identifying, in clarifying the problem, use words like what do you think or how do you feel about it. They say we shouldn't say 50 words to anybody without tagging it with a little question. They say if you could make a retention chart, it'd go about 50 words like this and then you'd start losing them. So we use words like, how does this look to you? Have I made myself clear? How do you feel about this to here? What do you think? This is the toughest job I ever had to do. I'm a blabbermouth. My boss used to say, ask them another question. When they give you an objection, don't feel compelled to answer them. You know, we'd be selling scotch tape, we'd try to sell a guy a gross, but we'd settle for a half a gross. So we'd try to sell a guy a gross, and he'd say, could I get a half a gross? You'd feel a compulsion to say, you bet. He'd say, ask another question. So you'd say to the guy, you can get this in the gross. He says, um, can I get a half a gross? And we'd say, do you want half a gross? He'd say, yeah. I'd say, dad, you got half a gross. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> ask another question. In, in, in answer to the words, think it over. If someone would say to us, I'll think it over, we used to say, we want you to think it over. But the thought occurs to us that while we're here, we might have the answers to some of the questions. So would you have any objection if we thought it over together while we're here now together? You gotta ask the right question. The gal said to the guy, why do you love me? He said, eh. She said, is it my looks? He said, no. She said, is it my figure? He said, no. She said, is it my money? He said, no. She said, I give up. He said, that's the reason right there. <laughs> 
Don't worry, I'll take care of the details. I'll bet the, if we could check out a thousand uh, problem solvers, these are the words of the problem solvers. It isn't what we say that counts, it's what the other person hears. Insurance people do this, they say, uh, Mr. Gove, if you get hit by a truck, mama gets this. Now, if you get hit by a herd of buffalo, mama gets this. Now, if there's a buffalo driving the car at the time, double indemnity. Now, if you outsmart us and live to be 65, you get this, and all you gotta do is deposit this amount each month. Don't, don't you worry about a thing. This is all you have. Direct mail people do this. They say, tear off the top of your neighborhood grocer and send the bum in now. Don't delay. The contest closes at midnight. Send no money. Forget the postage. Just put a little X where it says, bill me. And don't worry. We'll take care of all the details. Story about Minnesota mining. I used to travel around the country working with salesmen. And once my boss said, I want you to go down to New Orleans and work with Van Alton. We'd heard about Van. They used to call him Stuttering Van, a real weird one. My boss said, you've got to handle him with kid gloves. He hates SOBs from the home office. He never sends in any reports. The back of his car is a mess. We never know where he is. He's a slob. I said, why don't you fire him? He said, he's our best man. <laughs> but he said, if it'll soften him up a little bit, he said, give him a $50 a month raise. So I went down and Van picked me up and he gave me the silent treatment all the way and I took it as long as I could take it and I said, look, let's save a little wear and tear on each other. I'm not down here because I wanted, the boss sent me. And I said, incidentally, Chuck gave me permission to give you another half a hundred raise per month. I said, don't say anything to the other fellas. He said, D -d -d don't worry, I'm just as ashamed of it as you are. <laughs> and then we made a call, you wouldn't believe it. In those days, we were selling scotch tape against string, and scotch tape costs a buck and a quarter this size roll, and all the string you could carry away is about two bits. So we had to sell speed and versatility and convenience. So I'd walk in behind Van, and he'd give the guy a little pitch, you know. But as likely as not, the dealer would say, well, that looks pretty good for packaging, but I guess I'll stick with string. And Van would say, well, what's the matter, you stupid? He said, well, when your wife washes her clothes, does she take them down the river and beat them with rocks? <laughs> he said, trouble with you, Mac, is that you ain't modern, and you better get on a stick before it's too late. Well, I would edge toward the door. But you won't believe this. You won't, this interview and others like it would actually reach the negotiation stage before any blood was spilt. Then the guy would make a bad mistake, the dealer. He'd say to Van, you seem pretty sold on this, and I guess I could swing for a trial order. How much do you think I need? <laughs> Van would say, D -d don't worry, I'll take care of the details. <laughs> he said, that th th this is the order form right here. You sign it and I'll fill in the top. <laughs> Here's what I didn't know. You see, I didn't know this. And I do know it now, and I wouldn't go within a thousand miles of New Orleans without visiting with Van. He's one of my favorite people. What I didn't know is Van is the kind of a guy who would walk on his hands and knees over broken glass 
at 3 o'clock in the morning to replace one of these little cutter blades in the dispensers. He had service built in, like patch pockets in a suit of clothes. If the dealer was busy, he'd wash his window. If the dealer was busier than that, he'd help him wait on customers. Don't worry. Big words. The words of the problem solver. Others did it. They told us. Pharmaceutical people say something like John Sebastian of Fort Wayne, Indiana. He used these liver pills for 59 years. Ten days ago, he died at the age of 105. That was ten days ago. Yesterday, they had to beat his liver to death with a broom. <laughs> these are the words of the problem solver. These are the words of the problem solver. I suggest, I'll bet the problem solver, I'll bet the problem solver, when he wraps up, he asks people to buy. We could talk about this for hours. Will Foster, the Borden Company, tells a wonderful story. He said one of his milk salesmen sold more milk by mistake than the other guys did on purpose, you know. No teeth. He'd go to the housewife, he said, you better buy this milk. You wouldn't want your kids to look like this. <laughs> I suggest, what have we said? Dr. Joseph Grindle, let me sum it up. And all oh, you're the greatest. When you're this good, we hate to leave you, you know. What did Dr. Joseph Grindle say? He said that if a person is going to change, it's not enough. I love this. This means something to me. If a person is going to change for the better, it's not enough. Did he think about it? It's not enough that he have a tremendous desire. He said, we know people who have desire, who are starving to death. But if a person is going to change, they must experience change. They must get change under the skin. He said, when someone would say to Thomas Edison, must be great to get inspired and then invent something. Edison said, this isn't the way it is at all. I invent something, then I get inspired. You know, when you read about doing something for 60 or 90 days and getting it into your habit patterns, you think this is kind of corny. I used to cringe when I'd read some guy say, if you do this for 90 days, boy, you'll never do it any other way. But you know, after spending uh, two weeks with Grindle and these other people who are working in the human relations laboratories, this is not a bad idea. If you want to change, you must experience. And then into the time concept, the one idea I wanted to share with you, when we think of time, too many times we think of seconds, minutes, hours, days. The real doers, I'm convinced, when they think of time, they know they can't do anything about beating the clock, but they look to the dimensions of time for personal growth. Habit. When we relegate to habit those details, when we make habit our full-time executive assistant. You remember we used to talk about Karl Bach from Penn Mutual? Jewish refugee, one leg shorter than the other, a thick lit back accent. You wouldn't believe him. Last year, he wrote 10 and a half millions of paid-for life insurance. Oh, he's the greatest. You wouldn't believe it. You walk up to the guy and he slaps him in the cheek. He said, buddy, if you look as good on the inside as you look on the outside, I think I can get you a little more life insurance. <laughs> he said to the guy, how much life insurance you got? The guy says, plenty. He says, how much? He says, $50,000 worth. Carl says, I guess you don't intend to be dead very long. <laughs> But you know what Coop Currier's boss told me about Carl Bach? He said the average life insurance man gets up tomorrow and he stretches. He said, I should call some people. 
I should check with my bird dog. I should send out some longhand thank you letters. But it's hot, and I'm not in the mood. This is not my upcycle day. Kyle Bach gets up in the morning, dresses, shaves, puts on his pants, calls five people, calls, makes checks with five as bird dogs, sends out five longhand direct mail letters. Kyle Bach has formed the habit, you see, of doing the things failures don't like to do. So a habit becomes a dimension of time. Energy, waste one, waste the other. In the plant time and motion studies, to you and me, how you feel when you go on the job. Boy, we could talk about this one. We know it affects us. We know if we get overtired. We know if we juice it up too much. We know if we don't get sleep, it affects our job. Never get one of us to say it, no sir, but energy. All I want you to do tonight is to consider that energy is a significant dimension of time, attitude. Going into the relationship with the attitude, how can I help this other person grow? Mm. How can I help this other person solve a problem? If he's got one, I'll help him solve it. If he thinks he hasn't got one, I'll help him find one. I'll create one. One of the greatest stories to come out of World War II, I guess, when the staff people were selling the GI insurance, they did very well, $10,000, low cost. The staff captain would go in and he'd tell the story, and everyone would line up and take it. They'd go down the deep south. Some of these boys didn't dig this fiduciary consideration and option. So they'd tell the story, and they'd say, line up. These boys wouldn't move. Little second lieutenant at Blandon got his people together. He said, what the man say? He said, you take out this insurance. Then uh, you go into combat, and you get it hit in the head with a bullet. Said, uh, your loved one's going to get a 10,000 clams. Said, if you don't take out this insurance, then you go in combat, and you get hit in the head. Your loved one's going to get a five-pound box of nothing. So you take it out, you take your choice, you do it whether you want to or not. But remember, who you think they're going to send into combat first? <laughs> Why would, what would a problem solver sound like? I'll bet if we could take tape, if we could tape a thousand problem solvers all through their conversation, they'd be word, using words like, I have an idea for you what do you think? Don't worry, I'll take care of the details. Others did it. They told us. And based, what they, based on what they told us, I'd like to make a suggestion. Based on what they told us, I'd like to suggest. Someone I can trust said this. I ran it when I said, I, for the first time in my life, in closing, now you've been wonderful, I said, for the first time in my life, 30 years of selling, it seems to me I'm holding my head a little higher. I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm when someone asks me, what do you do for a living, Bill, it seems to me I'm proud to say I'm a salesman because I no longer think of selling as a personality-oriented popularity contest where you come on big with the charm and the techniques and you bowl them over. Instead, I see the perfect, the professional salesman as the problem solver who moves in to help people solve problems, to help them grow. I said, does this have the psychological base that any idea needs to survive and he said well I don't know much about it except I'll say this we're all at our best when we give and if you're a problem solver you gotta give so what happens you give you feel better when you feel better your attitude improves when your attitude improves you get through to people easier 
when you get through to them, they do some of the things you ask them to do, and when they do the things you ask them to do, back to the beginning, you feel better. Our little minister summed it up. We had a church fundraising drive before we moved from St. Paul and went over the top and built a new church school. And at the opening vestry meeting, a very substantial gift was reported by a generous parishioner. And someone in the vestry nudged someone else and said, no wonder this guy gives. He's got it. And our little minister said, I wonder if he gives because he's got it or he's got it because he gives. As usual, you've been wonderful. Thanks for listening to me. Thanks.